Hey guys, great to see you again. Frank with Tithely coming to you with uh, my new best friend on another episode of Modern Church Leader all the way out where it's almost snowing, but not quite yet. Uh, Peter Haas, how's it going, man? Doing great. I'm the frozen chosen in Minneapolis. So, And, and I noticed you have a Green Bay Packers mug. Is that like... You know, I live in Minneapolis and I know it's not very popular because we have... We have a lot of like Viking staff that will come I, to our church because yeah. we're really close to the stadium. But you know, the blood still bleeds green and gold. I'm a Wisconsinite <laughs> through and through. So I try to, I don't raise my freak flag very often, but I can do it right here. Yeah, you can do it. Do you, do you have like the cheese head too? Uh, you know, I have everything. I am, I you're all in Swiss. I bleed Wisconsin cheese. I, so. I mean, the, the Shannon Sharp days were pretty awesome. Shannon, well, that's going really, that's going back, man. Yeah. Yeah. I watched, I watched so many seasons of Brett Favre. It was just, you know, it's like a religion in Wisconsin. So you just don't, you don't mess with that stuff. I I could only imagine, because I mean, I've, I grew up in Vegas and I live in San Diego. Neither are major, major sports air. You know, we have some sports in San Diego for sure. Padres (laughs) are in the playoffs, killing it. But, but, you know, Green Bay, I'm just sure it's a whole different. Yeah, there's, you have to understand there's nothing else to do in Wisconsin. So yeah. I mean, it's just, if you want to have a social life, you end up loving the Green Bay Packers because all That's the parties true. and social events are around it. Even, even here in Minneapolis where we have every major sports franchise, in some ways that's what makes it kind of lame is that everything kind of becomes like corporate business skyboxes. You know, right. like you don't have to get the super fan who has nothing else to live for. Right. <laughs> Um, Man, well, so you are the lead pastor, senior pastor, founding pastor, I think, of Substance Church. I forget if you go all the way back to the beginning. Um, I feel like we've talked about that, but yeah, um, all of the titles, right? All of them. Senior pastor when you feel like you want to look like an old dude, and lead pastor when you want to wear cool shoes. And uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So my wife and I, we moved to Minneapolis. Uh, 18 years ago now, and just planted our church right in between 16 universities and, uh, you know, slowly grew it 13 different locations until now. And wow. uh, eventually, uh, so now we're, we're in and around Minneapolis. We do have a Monterey, Mexico campus, but we have a, uh, we, we, we have a, our a campus in downtown Minneapolis and then uh, campuses across the Northern suburbs. And uh, so we we're, we're just making it, making it happen up here, trying to get yeah. everybody to just experience a little more Bible and a little more God yeah, and uh, do it in a life given way. So, yeah, I love that. How, give us your kind of backstory just for the listeners that may not know you, like how did you get into ministry and how did yeah. you, you know, get into church planting and all that? Well, believe it or not, I, I gave my life to Christ in a nightclub. So, uh, I was an electronic dance music, uh, producer and, uh, a progressive house turntablist. So I would tour nightclubs with, uh, my turntables, kind of like Zed, Calvin Harris kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't actually grow up in church, but, uh, I had Christian friends always trying to get me to be open to God and, you know, get me to, 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 
be be open to Jesus, right? And I remember them asking me, just ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. And I'm like, yeah, no, you know, like there's only <laughs> no. there's only two types of Christians, right? The weird, spooky, mean ones. And then there's the uh, boring, you know, I like the organ ones. And and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm neither, right? At least, you know, how you have your preconceived yeah. ideas and yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, but life has a way of leading you to God, right? You start asking deeper questions just through pain. And, and I had two friends die, um, in, in tragic ways. Actually, my, my wife, uh, my father-in-law, uh, committed suicide Mm. and, um, you know, two, just two funerals in one week, I started asking deeper questions. And so I was, I was working at the nightclub one weekend and I was just really depressed out of my mind. And, um, I just said, God, if you do exist and if you did create the universe, then you should be powerful enough to show me what religion is the right religion. It was kind of a crazy prayer. And uh, literally, I kind of snapped out of that prayer. Like, what am I doing? I'm praying. I'm not a religious person. Right. Like, what and, just? Uh, I'm like, I need to go on my smoke break. And so I started walking out of the nightclub. And 30 seconds after that prayer, God came up to me and was like, dude, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that Jesus has a plan for your life and he wants you to follow him. And it's so freaked me out that God would answer my prayer in a nightclub 30 seconds after praying it, that uh, I literally went to church with that guy and that was it. So I kind of freaked out all my friends and family. They didn't know what to do with me. Like they were just like, what Pete went for Jesus? Like that's weird. And, and what's odd about it too, is I still produce electronic dance music so we released a uh we still have a major uh mainstream group so substance variant if you check it out on youtube we still we still tour we still produce uh music so but but i'm also a pastor so i got you know of a multi-site church so we just hey i i just think god wants to do unique things and people and something different. So yeah, so we're a little weird. Uh, our church, you know, like, why would you name a church substance? Well, because we, we target people like myself, right? Mm -hmm. People that, that are open to God, but just feel incompatible with church. And so that's kind of our specialty. So, I mean, like literally right in downtown Minneapolis, we have a lot of, uh, even one of our campuses, 80% of our people didn't go to church, um, before coming to substance. And so it's very, very much a, uh, in the mess of worldview. I mean, we have a lot of young, educated, but new to the Bible individuals. And so, you know, it, it creates a lot of unique dilemmas that we have to deal with from, you know, I mean, even security on a Sunday morning, it's people come in drunk and stoned all the time. And so just trying to figure out how do you do like healthy a section church. for them? You're like, okay, here's the <laughs> section for them. Oh, our security has to watch because every week, you know, we'll get panhandlers, not so much at our suburban campuses. Cause you know, we still have the suburban soccer mom campuses right. that don't have a whole lot of complexity to them, but you know, it, but I love it. I, I wouldn't have it any other way because in some ways it kind of, you know, forces us to think through a lot of things that, yeah. which is, kind of my specialty. So anyway. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's amazing. how long ago did you guys plant substance? So, uh, we planted it 18 years ago, 18 years. Okay. So, um, so we've been in Minneapolis. So we, we work with an organization called the ARC, 
Um, and so we were actually our church plant number 15. So we kind of got in early. Nice. And so I do a lot with ARC International, UK, South Africa, um, just helping kind of create business models that work for church planters. Right. Who, you know, so a lot of people come to me with, hey, we want to plant a church in this urban environment or urban poverty or suburban, you know, or rural. And uh, we kind of help them figure out how to do it um, in a life-giving way that yeah. where you'll survive five years later. So, yeah, I mean... Ark is, Ark is killing it. I mean, I was at the conference with you a while back and then there was a mm -hmm. local one in San Diego recently. Um, mm -hmm. and it's always, it's always a good time and tons <laughs> of like energy and people that are very excited for. Well, they're innovators. You know, they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. Church planners are entrepreneurs. They're thinking out of the box, which yep. sometimes can be bad. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it can also be the future of church. And I, yeah. I, I think, some of the most innovative people I've ever met are some of these emerging church planners. And, yeah. uh, you know, and they've you feel also it. Got... You feel it at the events, right? Like the energy and the life and the, yeah, just the desire to go change the world. Yeah, exactly. And some of that is naivety, but Hey, naivety and, and innovation also go hand in hand. Yep. You know, it's some people might call it faith. So, yeah, I mean, Think startups and business. I mean, if you knew everything going into it, most people probably wouldn't have started you whatever they do it. Right? You just wouldn't <laughs> no, do it. <laughs> totally. Totally. Because you'd be like, it's too hard. And then and until it works. And then you're like, yeah, oh, something happens. Yeah. And you get to see God work through it because you're like, oh my, if I knew everything, I wouldn't have done it. But look how God worked along the way. And it's and true. It's true. It, it's like even I had no idea how hard it is as a church to just purchase real estate until I had to like start doing it and yeah. how much of a learning curve zoning commissions, city politics. And, you know, I mean, we, we tried, we had 5 million in the bank and couldn't buy property in Minneapolis for five years because of zoning wow. discrimination. I, I was trying to be too nice to all these city council people. I just didn't understand how to do it. You know, right. if somebody would have told me, you're going to be portable for 593 Sundays. I would have wept. And, uh, <laughs> right. You know yeah, what I mean? But then, but then we cracked the code and boom, you know, and then we started getting all these properties, but it took a while. And uh, I think that's the problem of all entrepreneurialism is you don't know what you don't know, but that's actually the reason why you're going to figure it out is because you believe you might be able to do it someday. Right. Yeah, you keep at it. Well, one thing uh, that you and I have talked a lot about that seems like you're pretty passionate about, um, especially in your church context, is spiritual habit formation. Mm -hmm. And I thought we could spend some time. I mean, you think about it all the time, and you've just said a few things that stuck with me around, like, how you think about habit formation and even your concept of, like, the slippery slope and how you've tried to capture data on your church to understand where people are at. Just all that stuff. Like, I'd love to... Yep. You know, talk to us a little bit about why you are so passionate about like spiritual habit formation and how you think about it as substance. Well, you know, with, with the the reason why I'm I'm so passionate. So most people don't realize I I pastored another church in Wisconsin before moving to Minneapolis. Um, I I I took over uh, a kind of a middle aged baby boomer church in small town Wisconsin, and it was a very different environment. Mm -hmm. And I, cause, cause it's not a transfer growth 
environment, we never got a Christian. Nobody came to our church uh, as a believer. I mean, it was very, very rare that we would just get some random Christian family. We led everyone to Christ Mm. and not only led them to Christ, but taught them how to play bass and drums and video editing. And, and so as a church planter, um, I also wanted to reach a highly unchurched, educated people. And so figuring out how to communicate the gospel to them, it's different. You, you, cause it's, it's not just easy. Oh, we do a big Christian event and suck, you know, a hundred Christians out of the other local church, right? It, it's, it's how, how do you get up into the mess of someone who has no concept of anything tithing? Um, I mean, like when our church broke 2000 members, we only had 80 givers giving anything. Wow. I mean, so like it was shows how a church star people were. I sent out a, a, a thank you note to our top 100 leaders and my nine year old daughter got a letter for being one of the top 100 givers in her church, her <laughs> nine year old daughter. And at first I was like, you know, like, where is she getting all this money from? You know, like, and then my next thought was, oh no, it's really that bad. You know, like she didn't give hardly anything and she right. made it into the top 100. Wow. And uh, so, you know, how do you, like my list didn't even get to a hundred. It only got to eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. When you have these people that gave like, you know, five bucks from, you know, last 12 months ago, uh, that was our list. Right. And so how do you systematically invite people into a lifestyle of discipleship? of cross carrying. And, uh, I remember when I, when I planted, I, I read this, it was a group Gallup study back in 2004 called friendship. And they found these statistical correlators with, uh, church satisfaction. They found that the top three predictors of church satisfaction were how many friends a person had. If a person had two to three friends, they, had in your church, they had a 98% chance of being very satisfied. Wow. In other words, they could hate the worship, the preaching, the governance could be terrible. All, you know, like there could be all sorts of mediocre things in your church, but if you can get them two to three friends, they had a 98% chance of being very satisfied. Wow. And then I found another study that cor- that found the same correlation that if you got them four to seven friends, they had very, very low odds of falling away from Christ over the long term. That oh. that friendship was one of the key characteristics of not only church satisfaction, I gotta write but this longevity down. in Christ. And so then it, it reoriented me of like, hey, I'm not trying to get them to come to a church service. I'm trying to get them as many Christian friends in the shortest window possible. And so... That was kind of how we built our church like that. Don't get me wrong. We, we like to have the awesome church services. We like to have, you know, that type of thing, but, uh, it, it's not more than Christian community. It is a conduit to Christian community. Right. And same thing was true with, oh, the, the, that same group Gallup study found the second predictor was, do they have a weekly ministry that charges them up? Mm. And then I found another study that found people that have a weekly ministry in their, in your church rate themselves seven times happier than people who come to your church, but do not have a weekly ministry. So it's an ownership factor in, in psychology, we call it the endowment effect. When, when people have some sort of skin in the game financially or, or ownership of, of the ministry, they're 
way more likely to like you and right. feel. So, and then the third thing was, is proximity to a leader who knows their name, who's inviting them to take next steps. And so just someone saying, Hey, I know you've heard sermons on fasting, but are you fasting? Would you want to fast with me Monday? I know you've heard sermons on getting into the Bible, but Hey, how about we start reading the book of James together this week? It, it's right. somebody who's inviting them. Most people don't take greater steps of maturity on their own. And so they have to be invited into it. And so it, same thing with giving. We realized, hey, even if I teach on giving, let's say I have the most compelling message on giving ever. Which and I give it naturally on the, you do every time, right? Like it's... Look at me, Frank. <laughs> of course I do. I... The greatest preacher. No, I, I realized actually the key to giving in our church is getting our small group leaders to be comfortable inviting people into giving. It's it's having our small group leaders understand, hey, this is what substance means to me. This is what substance saved my life. It's changed my marriage. And therefore, I, I've been giving um, and there's an offering coming up. I just want to ask you guys to ask God to participate in this offering. I'm not even going to ask you to give, but... I do want to invite you just to join in the transformation of, of generosity, of, of paying it forward into other people's lives. And the moment we taught our small group leaders how to do it, it was like, boom, every time we would do some sort of big offering um, as like an onboarding and on-ramp to giving, our all of our churches would jump by 5-10% regular giving. And it, and it was, it's the invite into discipleship that they would not have done on their own. And yeah, there's people that will just, you know, there's like 10% of the population that will jump into deeper circles of commitment on their own. But the other 90%, they're not taught into maturity. They're invited into maturity. Wow. And so a lot of our discipleship mechanisms are kind of based on that, these principles of getting them Christian friends in, in a very short window of time. Right. So of our newcomers, we can get, you know, a hundred new people on our, in our services, but how quick are we at the slippery Creek bank into friendship, ownership, and getting them an invite into maturity? If we can't do those three things, it's like an emergency room. Somebody comes into an emergency room. Yeah. They may have broken arms and, all sorts of problems going on. But first thing that the ER nurse is going to look for is do they have a pulse? You know, are they breathing? Mm -hmm. Basic things. Are they bleeding out? Okay. So the way we see it at substance is do they have four to seven friends of ministry and a proximity to a leader who can invite them into a next step? Right. If we haven't dealt with those three things, um, they're only going to be coming to our services for a short window of time. Right. If, if more than a week. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, I love how you've boiled it down in a sense, right? Like you, you said a, a, like a lot, like there's a lot to everything you just said in terms of unpacking it. But I think for the, you know, just your, your everyday church leader, like simplifying it down to just these three things and then thinking of ways to like, how do I get somebody? It doesn't even have to be new people necessarily, right? It could be someone that maybe has been around for a little bit, but like, maybe they don't have, maybe they have, one good friend. And so, you know, they're tied that way, but how do, how do I get you? So how do you do that? How do you get somebody four to seven great friends? Well, first off, I, 
I, it caused me to rethink the way that I did church a little bit. You see, up until that point, I had pretty much devoted my life to making people cry from the pulpit, right? You know, you just want to <laughs> make them laugh, Heart make strings. them cry, give them Jesus and your messages, right? So I, I thought it was all about my message or about the worship experience, right? I mean, we we have the LED walls. we got the, the great production behind our services. And especially as a, a music producer, I'm really into yeah. that, that experience and the excellence of the facilities. But when I read these studies, it kind of it kind of broke my model a little bit because I started thinking, oh, churching them in a church service is not the same as transforming them. I really want transformation. It's the parable of the seed and the sower. It's all about the soil content. And if you think about it, the the, the soil that produces the fruitfulness, we're really these studies are just kind of um, showing the nuances of what the healthy soil is. It's having life-giving Christian community, transformational friends. It's, you know, the, the ownership. The, these things are really just a slippery creek bank, if you will. And so one of the things that we do is all, so we've always been a very small group driven church. Mm-hmm. We started emphasizing small groups and, and, you know, for years, like studies like natural church development have always shown that the number, the top predictors of church health and church growth have always been small groups. Um, yeah, and you can do a lot of transfer growth if you live in a city where there's a lot of transfer growth to get. Right. But um, those of us outside of those types of regions, we, we've known forever that if you don't have robust small group systems with small group leaders who know how to invite people and church people, you can be an unchurched Christian attending a service. And so how do we church them well, we get them into an environment where they can confess their sin, James 5, 16. Confess your sins so that you may be healed. I wonder how many people have never experienced true biblical healing because they've never confessed their sin. They're a, they're a, a spectator in an anonymous church service, but they're not really saying, hey, I need help losing weight. I need help getting over an addiction to porn. I need help. But but I've never been able to share it with anyone because I don't have any intimacy mm-hmm. to lead to that. And so what we do is all of our small group leaders, they come and they work the foyer every weekend. Okay. So like all like we can have hundreds of small groups, but those small group leaders know um I gotta go and be friendly. And so they're always roving around our services, looking for people that are kind of standing alone, you know, looking at their phone and before right. waiting for the service. Right. Yeah. A lot of the new people, they go right into the auditorium and they just sit down and they watch our little video rolls before pre-service. And so, you know, just, Hey, go up, introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Peter. Or, you know, the people that are kind of standing alone in the foyer. Um, it's very, very difficult to, to attend our service without getting invited into some small group, invited into growth track, like, oh, you're new. Oh, I'll go to growth track with you, making our growth track super, super simple, offering it at every service. And so we have kind of a digital growth track that is instead of doing, you know, like the old school membership classes where people have to come to eight weeks in a row, which of course nobody goes eight weeks in a row anything anymore. And so, you know, simplifying your onboarding processes is is something that we we always treat try to teach pastors to do. Um, you know, doing so like we have kind of a digital growth track where you show up, you get hooked up to our digital growth track, 
you can kind of Netflix it, binge it at home, um, the eight episodes that we've got. And then you show up and hang out with a guidance counselor right. who will sit down with you and say, okay, of these hundreds of groups, I would recommend these top three as your starter. And then here's your starter ministry. You're, you're, you may not love this ministry long-term, but you're going to meet so many cool friends that uh, you'll find your long-term ministry here through this. So a guidance counselor will sit you down mm -hmm. and kind of simplify the experience, right? right. It's just, right. just like you would at a, at an academic institution. Here's how you get out of here in four years. Right. right. Here's how you get the most out of our discipleship systems. And so, you know, just making the slippery Creek bank slippery, right? If you, my grandma would say, if you hang out on a slippery Creek bank long enough, you're bound to fall in. Well, if discipleship and Christian worldview is the creek, how do we get it so that the slippery creek bank is almost impossible to stand on without, oh, and then you're in the stream. Right. And next thing you know, um, oh, I'm confessing my sins, being discipled, being invited into giving, being invited into holy sexuality, being invited into all these things that you never thought you would be jumping into right. because somebody got you these these trans these predictors of spiritual growth yeah 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 i i mean it sounds like you've done a lot of work on like small group leader training and coaching and you know like pouring into them you know like really equipping them to like they're pushing people into the slope kind of thing, or they're pulling people, or I don't know how you think about it, but you know, they're, yeah. they're the ones that are, yeah, they're hanging around, you know, in the lobby or they're looking for the people sitting in the seats, like those kind of things so that they can do the invite. They can sort of invite them to their small group or invite them to the next steps classes or give them exactly. the content. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we, we started actually, um, we, we even started categorizing our people into six different levels of with with we started creating objective habit-based discipleship metrics yeah that we could measure in our people like level zero one two three four five and then finding these objective metrics surveying our people until we could get a really clear idea at this campus where are people at what are we doing to move ones into twos twos into threes threes into fours fours into fives. And so our, our, um, we actually have metrics even for our campus pastors based on how many people did you invite into next steps on a Sunday? I mean, so it's, we, we, we count those all the things. Campus pastors are like, I invited everybody. I did it right from stage. I invited all of them all at once. I got, <laughs> yeah. So we don't count anything like that, you know, <laughs> nothing from the platform map counts. Okay. Yeah. People get information all the time and we're trained to ignore information. Yeah. What you can't ignore is the person looking you in the eyes and saying, bro, are you doing okay? Yeah. I mean, you can lie to them, but only so many times, right? right? Or, Hey, have you gone to our growth track? You know, like when you have so many people asking you that, or dude, you got to come to my connect group. This Tuesday, it's only every other week. There's like right. 40 couples coming. You'll love it. You know, you can only resist those invites for so long before you fall down the slippery creek bank. Right. And so we even survey, like we even found out how long does it take? 
how anonymous can a person stay in our church? It's very difficult for a person to re remain anonymous over three months wow. just because we have so many small group leaders working that foyer, so many guidance counselors, so many announcements plugging our growth track, our growth track, plugging our small groups, our small groups, plugging our ministry teams, all those types of things. Right, so, right. How, how do you train your small group leaders? Like, what's that? <laughs> one? It sounds like that's a real, like, I think you have yeah. a lot of system and process behind all this we stuff, do. but like without that training of the small group leader, it kind of probably doesn't work. This Like they're not slipping down, you know, the slippery slope that easy without that team really. Yeah. You know, well, anybody in high level leadership could actually give my talk what I just gave to you today. Yeah. Like lay leaders. Okay. Our campus pastors too. They could say, what are the top three catalysts? The, the top three correlators of spiritual growth, they could name them. Mm -hmm. And what I just shared with you, they know this stuff. Right. In fact, um, everybody that leads a ministry team, we even have a teaching on the top reasons why volunteers will quit a ministry. And so, and then what we have, uh, so we call them volunteer cliffs. Why do people stop serving in a ministry? Uh, and, um, and a lot of times it's, it's because they show up to do it. One of them is nobody pastors me. I show up to pass an offering bucket, but none of my teammates ask me how I'm doing. In other words, it's, it's a pastoral issue or it's a communication issue. It's my wife or a synchronization issue. My wife is on this ministry team. And she was assigned to a different campus than me. What right. do I do when I've got small kids? Right. And so, you know, you, you quit the ministry team just because of convenience or um, those types of things. And so we train our leaders on these things. We have an entire leadership pipeline where our small group leaders can be trained, um, you know, at least 12 to 15 events a year where they're evaluating their small groups on how good are you multiplying them? How good are you? Um, at volunteer recruiting, these types of things that are the organic things that grow a church. These are the things we teach church planters. Mm -hmm. Well, even if you're a mega church, a lot of mega churches, you know, they take these things for granted. And unfortunately, there's a lot of mega churches that they operate on transfer growth um, because they can still, because right. there's still transfer growth to get in their city. But, um, these are things that church planners can't take for granted and really no church can take them for granted because we, we are in an unchurched culture now. Right. right. And uh, you've got to be good at these organic things. If you're small group leaders, if you don't have a decent pipeline, then, you know, it's not going to work. Right. So we're, we're constantly at these events, these, this leadership pipeline teaching people about what does discipleship look like? Are we inviting people into maturity? And so, we're constantly teaching our small group leaders, here is the ask that we need you to be making this month. The ask is, um, we're inviting people into generosity this month. The ask is, we're inviting people into holy sexuality this month. The ask is, we're inviting people to learn the discipline of Bible reading this month. Right. And so there's always an invite and an ask that our small group leaders are making because I don't want to just leave it up to the pulpit, my sermon. Again, people aren't taught into maturity. They're invited into maturity. Yeah. Most people, 10% might be taught into maturity, but the rest have to be invited. 
I, I knew a million messages on how to get into my Bible. Did I read it? No. Right. Yeah. Not until my small group leader was like, bro, have you ever read through the Bible in a year? And I'm like, no. And he's like, would you like to do that with me? And I'm like, no, uh, but I'll do <laughs> it for you. Asked. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like my, my, my small group leader back in the day, he was like, do you want to memorize two Bible passages with me? His name was Ken. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to do that at all. And I don't want to do it with you. It was kind of like green eggs and ham. I do not like that, Sam. I am. <laughs> and, uh, but you know what? He was like, come on. And eventually he wore me down and he was like, let's just do it. Next thing you know, I'm memorizing two Bible passages a week for years on end. I cannot tell you how much that discipline radically altered my spirituality. Right. But I never would have done it had Kent not invited me into Bible memorization. Yeah. And it's that simple. And actually, the only reason why Kent did it is because his campus pastor asked him, would you reach out to that Pete guy? Because he's high maintenance. Somebody needs to adopt him. Yeah. And he's got some serious issues. He's still at the club doing his music. And, you know, he, is, he doesn't get it. That was the truth, man. <laughs> that was the truth. Uh, it takes us all a long time, right? We're, uh, we're, projects. it does. We're projects. It does. Lord help man, us. Th this is good. So I could keep asking you questions upon questions. Is there anywhere people can go to like, learn a little bit about how you guys think about this stuff. I know you've written a bunch of books. I don't know if you have a book on any of this or resources that other church leaders could download somewhere or. Well, first of all, I, I do talk a lot about these topics in my books and cite a lot more research. So I, I write comedy books on spirituality. So my, I, I wrote a book called Pharisectomy, uh, how to remove your inner Pharisee and other religiously transmitted diseases. And uh, it's, I, I write these books for people that don't like reading too. So, but there are definitely a lot of research in them. Yeah. Um, and that's a book on, on basically how to organic Christianity driven by joy, grace, community. Um, then I wrote a book called Broken Escalators. Um, it's on the 10 statistical predictors of happiness and promotion mm. and how that intersects with the scripture. And so, um, broken escalators, a lot of the data is in this as well, but, um, I have a blog where I, I share all of these things. I have a, I have a video teaching for almost every little stat I've mentioned. Oh, very cool. Um, so if people just go to peterhaas.org, um, Haas, H A A S.org, um, all of these things are on there. If you just did like the volunteerism, people quitting, from volunteer teams, yeah. um, just do the cliff teaching in at peterhaas.org or do the catalyst teaching at peterhaas.org. And you'll get a lot of the data that I mentioned today and kind oh, of how we apply it to our churches. So. That's beautiful. People should totally go check this out. Cause I think it's, I mean, even, even the simple one of like, how do I get somebody four to seven friends? I feel like that stat alone you could just work on that for a year or more. Just how do I build that into my church? How do I build that like friendship creation habit into the church, like into the DNA, totally. everything, well, right? And just pastors spend all of their energy on the wrong things. Yeah. They're, they're so obsessed with the church service experience, which don't get me wrong. If you don't have a decent church service and, and can't even get a person to come back for three weeks in a right, row, then right. It doesn't matter if you have the greatest midweek discipleship program. They'll never discover it because you're weird and lack excellence, right? right. But yeah. 
But, you know, beyond that, I, I think we, we, I think we all know post COVID church is more than a church service. And the churches that figure that out are going to all of a sudden bear a lot of fruit. Right. And that's why it's so important for us to be thinking beyond the church service of what does transformational discipleship look like, right. or we're just going to lack traction. Yeah. I love it. PeterHaas.org. Okay. I got a couple kind of quick questions for you. Yeah. We wrap up. Okay. E- easy ones for you. Um, right. First one, who, who's like a pastor or spiritual friend that you've been most influenced by in your life? Oh man. Um, pastor, my pastor, Chris Hodges, church of the highlands has really taught me a lot about my systems and I mean, he's probably impacted me the most. Greg Surratt, Seacoast, um, also in Charleston. Um, they've done a lot just helping me kind of stay humble and have good systems, mm-hmm. drive your church through prayer. They, they've, they've probably been the most transformational in helping me grow. But, you know, like everybody, I'm, I'm constantly listening to Groeschel and, and Andy Stanley and a lot of the other yeah. thought leaders in the body of Christ too. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I definitely read a lot of books, um, but just getting mentored, yeah. find out people who have navigated your problems and get around them and hang out with them. Yeah. I love that. What, what's a book everyone should read. You can mention yours, but give us one that's not yours too. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, a book everyone should read. Uh, that's a great, Oh, you know what? I'll just share a couple that I've, I'm really feeding on. Um, this is not a, a Christian book, but Atomic Habits. I think I've read that book like yeah. three times over the last couple of years. Hundred um, percent, probably my favorite book ever in an odd way. I, like it's, oh, it's a great, it's a great. Yes, book. and and also kind of along the, the same lines is that I love a lot of the books by the Heath brothers, um, like Made to Stick mm-hmm. um, was one of their classics, but it it kind of altered the way that I I would communicate from the platform a lot, you know, it's not a book on, on preaching, but it's a book on messaging right? and how to create memorable messages and uh, whether you're a teacher. So made to stick has impacted me. Um, You know, gosh, I'm trying to think of what else I've been reading. Cause those two are great. We can stick with two. We don't want to stress. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. (laughs) Good, Yeah. Last one. What's a podcast that you're listening to right now? Um, you know, that's a great question. I, to be honest, uh, I, I haven't been listening to a lot of podcasts in recently. Um, you know, obviously yeah. I'll, I'll listen to Groeschel's podcast. You know what it is, is that I'm kind of impatient and I, I like reading because I can read faster than I can listen. You can go at your speed. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then I like the citations to me. It's like, if I don't, I didn't walk away with a citation. <laughs> You're that guy. You know, so uh, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be a terrible resource to you there. That, that's fine. Do you have one that you have listened to in the past that you were like, oh man, I let this, this was 10 years ago, but it's great. Uh, to be honest, it's, it's, it, it's always tended to be uh Groeschel. Yeah. Uh, his leadership oh podcast yeah. uh, has been the one. Otherwise it's a good it's, one. I, I hate to tell you, it's going to be true crime podcasts. That's fine. It's not going to be. I'm going to learn about how not to how to murder people. If, you know, I can teach you about that. I got that one down. Oh man, it's not so helpful for pastors though. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. Well, everybody needs to go to it's peterhaas.org. 
right? Mm-hmm. To, to get some more of the, the teaching, listen to the videos, um, check out yep. your blog. Um, what about the church? Where can folks go to check out Substance? Yep, substancechurch.com is our website. And of course, we're also, you know, we're on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, if you want some great electronic dance music, Substance Variant, will your workout music, you don't even have to like, you know, EDM. Yeah. But we, we do a lot of worship stuff at Substance input output as well. So That's we're not awesome. just doing mainstream music. You guys are, you're all over the place, man. We are. We are. Well, uh, senior pastor, Peter Haas, uh, this has been great. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. I'm gonna I love you, man. Title. That's the old guy title right now. I know senior pastor. I'll take off my hipster shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is great, man. Thank you for spending some time with us today. All right. Hey, I love you, man. Yeah. Appreciate you. And guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Modern Church Leader. See ya.